0: Thank you so much. What a gracious introduction! And uh, let's see, I think I'm going to lower this a little bit here. Well, it's a joy to be with you. I think the last the last time we were here was about uh, was two years ago at this time. We we come every time every every year around this time to. Um, uh, be with our daughters and our grandchildren and uh, uh, just share Thanksgiving with them. And so uh, we love the opportunity to be with you here. because We know so many of you and have known uh, many of you through the years. And uh, as Ralph was, was sharing a little bit, I don't know that he realized he said this. We have not been in ministry since 1959. It was 1979, actually. I hope it wasn't written in there since 59. I was only eight years old then. But, um, yes, we believe in bringing the young generations up quickly, don't we? Um, But it it was in 1975 that I walked into Beth Messiah Synagogue for the very first time and uh, realized... What I had come to believe in, I I had become a believer in Yeshua several weeks prior to that through a process of reading and just searching out and my life had been a mess and I I just needed God desperately and uh, some folks called me and took me to that service and uh, met Sandra Sheskin Brotman there and, and Manny Brotman was the rabbi at Beth Messiah and just gave a message that was riveting that I can I can remember I can't remember the content to this day but I just remember realizing my life can never be the same I can't I have got to completely give my life over over to to the Lord and uh, so anyway that began a process that uh, we've been walking out I've been walking out for 42 years and my wife and I uh, Joe uh, you already met her but we met at Beth Messiah and we're married in 1977 and uh, we've been walking out this adventure uh, of the grace of God for, for 40 years now. And um, so we are right now, and I'm not going to say much because I really want to spend most of the time on the word here. We are based now in Spokane, Washington. We were, we were uh, leading Messianic congregations for a number of years, and then God just dramatically and powerfully, prophetically spoke to us over a a series of months back in 2012, and um, we moved to Spokane to be a part of a ministry called Gateways Beyond International. Gateways is, uh, thank you, honey. Gateways, uh, the main base is on the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas and Paul were and and, uh, passed through at times. And we also have bases in uh, Hernhut, Germany, in Geneva, Switzerland, and of course in Spokane. We we are, are praying into various other possibilities, but our heart is to see God move in the next generations and to see them take their place to really usher in the coming of the Messiah. So we travel from Spokane, we do minister there, but we also travel out from there fairly often, fairly regularly. And uh, we love to be places where we know the people. We, this is so special for us because so many of the places we go to, we don't know the people. I mean, we go to a different country. We don't know the people that we're ministering to. We may have a connection with with the leader or something like that, but we know you here and we know, we've known Ralph and Sandra for so many years and just, just I want to affirm what's already been said, that what a quality of leadership you all have here. And I, I felt like a little bit earlier, before Before anybody said anything, I felt like the Lord said that just just don't take for granted how special it is to have a loving community of faith and and just God has something special here and it's not just has been doing something special. there are things ahead for you that are very special and at any rate want to I want to share this morning with you some thoughts. Really on the grace of God, which, which is probably my favorite area to talk about. I do have, I'm at the beginning stages of writing a book on this, and, and uh, I, I don't know when it'll get done because I need blocks of time to do it, but I, I am intending to finish this. But the longer I walk with the Lord, to be very honest, the more I find that I am in awe of the grace of God. I have such appreciation for God's grace. It's so central to our lives. It's central to our experiencing victory in our walk with God. See, apart from walking in the grace of God, first of all, and this would be very depressing, if we were just limited to what we can do. If I'm limited to what I can do, I may as well give up and find something else to take up my time. But the grace of God is what takes us beyond the limitations of our own natural being. And and apart from walking in God's grace, we really cannot enter into the fullness of life and victory that God intends for us to walk in. Several this morning have already mentioned the promises of God, the love of God. We've been talking about walking in unity. How in the world do we do that apart from grace? Because if we're real... And honest, there are times when, hello, we actually disagree with one another? Could that be? <laughs> and how do we deal with those things? Well, if you deal with it in the ways that just the spirit of of, of this world does it, you're never going to get into unity. But that's not how we deal with it. By the grace of God, we actually come into a unity that's beyond us naturally. So... This morning, I want to consider it a little bit about, and this is very, I'm, I'm, I want this to be very practical. I want to talk about the process of receiving grace as well as a key to walking in grace. Grace needs to be much more than just a good idea. It needs to be real to us. It needs to be practical, practical to us. It needs to be something that as I walk through day-to-day life, it makes an empowerment that's bigger than me real in my life. And that's how God wants to be with each one of us. I want to begin with a verse, actually, from Romans chapter 5. I'll just read it. No need to turn to it. But as a springboard for sharing today, Romans, verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Yeshua, the Messiah. Well, there's some key words in this verse that I, I, I first I want to focus on real briefly. First, he talks about receiving grace. In other words, those who receive this abundance of grace, and I think receiving grace is meant here to be a contrast to somehow earning grace, or deserving, or striving for God's grace. So the idea here is that grace is a gift. It's a gift, and it can only be received, it will never be earned, no matter how hard you try. Now, that doesn't mean that, there's not, that, that there isn't a right place for discipline and giving God our best, but you cannot earn God's favor. You can't earn God's blessing and gifts. So that means all of our attempts to feel worthy of God's blessing can actually end up leading us to miss God's blessing Because his blessing is based totally on his grace and it's never, never based on my worthiness. Okay? And then there's, it says there's an abundance of this grace. So, there is no shortage. There is no shortage in the grace of God. It's not something that we can reach the end of. In fact, the Greek word here actually has the idea of superabundance. It's like an inexhaustible supply, the grace of God. And then speaking of the righteousness imparted to us, Paul says it's a gift of righteousness. And this takes us back to the issue of receiving. A gift isn't something owed to us. It's totally based on the graciousness and the generosity of the giver. And so it's something that simply needs to be gratefully received. And then finally, there's the word, now finally not meaning the end of the message, but finally in just just this few moments. There's the word reign. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, it says, will reign in life through Yeshua. Grace brings us into a place of reigning through our connection to Yeshua, instead of sin ruling over us, instead of circumstances ruling over us, we are brought into a place of reigning victorious as we walk in that realm of God's grace. Now, again, what I want to look at here is the process of receiving as well as walking in God's grace. On one hand... I think you probably know these issues are so simple and yet they're so basic to our salvation and we can very easily be talked out of grace. And we'll look at some of that today. See, we can get tripped up by the simplicity of it, to be honest with you. We can get tripped up by the challenge of simply receiving a generous gift that we already know we don't deserve. Now, I think the biggest hindrance to our receiving the grace of God is our tendency to focus on ourselves and how undeserving we are of God's gift to us. Focusing on how undeserving we are, listen closely here, we focus on how undeserving we are, and so it becomes reasonable for us to entertain the idea that I'm just too unworthy for this. And see, what we're actually doing is we're trying to process God's grace with our understanding and with our natural human reasoning. We overthink our unworthiness. Is our unworthiness real? Of course it is. But we overthink our unworthiness, and that becomes a stumbling block for receiving, simply receiving the gift of grace that erases our unworthiness. So again, are we unworthy of God's grace? Yes, we are. We will never be deserving. What that, what, that does, what that does not mean is that we walk around day by day thinking, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy, I'm so unworthy. What it does mean is we understand that I can never be deserving of this gift of, of forgiveness and cleansing and righteousness, and that's why it's a gift of grace, And therefore, we've got to be looking beyond what natural reasoning tells us we deserve. So here's the bottom line. We often try to process the goodness of God with our understanding and with our reasoning. But we all know the verse, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and reasoning. See, our understanding is incapable of comprehending God. Have you figured that out yet? I hope you have. Or I hope you are figuring it out. It's like one of these lifelong things because we, re- we revert back into that place where we think we've got it figured out and then God just takes us into something else where we realize, no, I really don't have this thing figured out. See, our understanding is un- incapable of comprehending God. So we find ourselves thinking, well, I'm just trying to understand how can God be so good to me? Friends, stop trying to understand it. He is bigger than what we're capable of understanding. So we've got to go beyond what we can understand, and that's when we step into the realm of faith and trust. We will never be able to relate to God any other way. We must embrace the call to trust God and not think we can somehow figure God out or make sense of his grace. So here's something we've got to settle in, in our hearts and minds in order to come into this place of trusting God. We have to realize that everything, every, say everything. everything. Okay, everything. Everything about God and about his goodness to us is beyond our understanding. Think about it. As we see some of the new covenant descriptions of God's gracious works in our lives, Ephesians 3, he brings us into a love that surpasses knowledge. It's a love that goes beyond what our minds can comprehend. Philippians 4, he offers us a peace that Passes understanding, peace that def- it, it actually defies logic and defies human understanding. First Peter 1 he offers us a joy unspeakable and full of glory. We don't have the words to even describe the joy that he makes available to us in Yeshua. Then, then Ephesians 3 again he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can even ask or think. Everything about God and his goodness poured into our lives. Everything about the works of God in our lives. Friends, it's beyond what we can understand. It goes beyond what makes sense to us. And so let's just get to the bottom line. Grace does not make sense. So here's the point. We've got to stop trying to make sense of God's grace to us because everything about God's grace goes way beyond logic and common sense. Do you follow? So if we try to make sense of God's grace, the fact is we can't do it and we can end up concluding that since it doesn't make sense, it can't be true. I'm just going through the thought process that every one of us is susceptible to. So we've got to learn to simply receive from God rather than trying to make sense of his generosity to us and make sense and make God's grace to be something that's reasonable and sensible. See, here's what happens. We try to make sense of God's grace by hoping to find something in ourselves that's deserving of God's grace. That's how grace would then make sense to us, you see, So God's generosity to us will make sense to our natural thinking if there's something in us that makes us feel deserving of his generosity. But the problem here is there's nothing in us that's worthy of his generosity, and ultimately we know that. And so focusing on ourselves, we can think based on natural reasoning, well, I'm just too unworthy or to use a little different wording, it doesn't make sense to me that God would be so good to me. After all that I've done, after all the ways that I have let God down, all the times I've just been self-centered rather than living for him, it doesn't make sense that God would be so good to me. But see, we're leaning on our understanding rather than trusting him for a grace that's bigger than our understanding. Because we cannot intellectually make sense of God's grace, we end up opening ourselves up to lies that are rooted in trying to make sense of God's grace. Or we open ourselves up to lies that, are, that, that, that try to convince us why God's grace just doesn't apply to me. See, it's all based on our trying to make grace makes sense and the fact is it doesn't make sense. I'm repeating this because I want you to get it. Grace is far bigger than our minds can ever understand. It's not something that fits into the world of logic and reason. And that's why often, even when we're sharing our faith, we share about the grace of God, and it just doesn't make sense to the people that, we're, that, are, that, that are listening. That's why we've got to realize it's not, about a natu- it's not about winning a logical argument. It's about expressing the love of God in the anointing of his spirit, and that reaches into people's hearts and enables them to receive a grace that otherwise doesn't make sense. If we insist on approaching grace from the realm of logic and reason, grace will just remain a concept that's too good to be true. Common sense and our personal shortcomings tell us grace is too good to be true. But if we'll go beyond the realm of logic and reason and into the realm of faith, then what's too good to be true will actually become reality for us. It is too good to be true, but it is true. That's so amazing. Now, there are lies that are rooted in our natural thinking, our natural reasoning, rooted in our desire to make sense of grace, and we need to face the task of battling and overcoming those lies daily if we want to enter more fully into this grace of God. Lies of our sin being too great for God to forgive. Lies of our messing up too many times, lies about our falling down too many, our our failing God too many times. Not lies in the sense that it hasn't happened, but lies in the sense that it separates us from grace. Do you see the difference? Whatever form the lies may take in your life that that would leave you disqualified in your thinking from the grace and generosity of God, the lies must be battled and they must be overcome every single day so that we can enter by faith into his grace. And it's in his grace that we stand. Romans 5.2. Friends, grace is never earned. It can only be received as a gift, received By faith. And we must learn to receive. The older we get, by the way, the harder receiving can be. And I'll elaborate on this a little bit. We must learn to receive in spite of what logic presents to us as reasons why we would somehow be excluded from the grace of God. Now, I want to point out a particular aspect of our receiving grace that I think we probably need to give more attention to. We tend to think about grace from the perspective of me receiving what I don't deserve. And of course, that's a part of it. But I think we also need to process grace from the perspective of God giving what he loves to give. And if we see it that way, it helps us to to, to embrace that position of receiving a little bit better. See, I think we can buy into religious thinking in which it's almost like we're robbing God of the joy of his fatherhood. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. God is the perfect, the perfect father, perfect in his generosity, perfect in his graciousness. God has given a gift. To humanity, the greatest and most wonderful gift ever given. And that gift, of course, is his son, Yeshua. And then in Yeshua, we're given this amazing access into the realm of God's unlimited goodness and generosity. Access to a grace that's totally beyond what our minds can, can comprehend. Beyond what makes sense to our natural thinking. So try to imagine if you're a parent... And maybe you've planned to give a really, really special gift to your children. We're, we've been grandparents now for about 12 years, and so we really plan these gifts, these special gifts to our grandchildren. The principle, it's the same if it's husbands and wives, or really anyone who's planned to give a special gift to a close friend or a brother or a sister. But as you're planning to give this gift, over time you start to get pretty excited about it. You start to think about how much the other person is really going to love this gift. And then the time comes when you're able to finally give the gift to them. And you know what? So often the joy of the giver is almost greater than the joy of the one receiving it. Have you experienced that? We see the joy of someone receiving a gift that we've planned and that gives us joy. Am I right? So what's my point? My point is this. We need to embrace the concept of God enjoying us. Do you think of him that way? I, yes, he's holy. Yes, he's awesome. Yes, he's perfectly righteous. And I, I know all the things we can come up with that tell us why just to receive him as an amazing, loving father, it just doesn't make sense. I know them because I've come up with them just as you have. We need to think of God as that amazing, loving Father. He has joy in our receiving his gifts of grace. His joy is in our receiving it. It's not in seeing us try to figure out how we can be worthy of it. Or trying to figure out if we've somehow disqualified ourselves from it. Friends, God has no joy in that. In our natural human reasoning by which we determine, well, he's so holy and I'm so undeserving and therefore I, I can't just receive what he wants to give me. Well, see, that may make sense to us and it may even be well-intentioned, but it doesn't give God any joy at all because we're processing this incredible gift of, of grace with our natural minds and basically cutting ourselves off from it. Friends, God has joy in our receiving of this incredible gift that we do not deserve. He doesn't want you to try to figure out how you can be worthy of this gift. You're not worthy of it. You won't be worthy of it. You know it, and he knows it. His joy is in seeing our joy as we would receive his grace and walk in it. His joy is in seeing our joy as we discover more and more this inexhaustible mercy and empowerment from God that lifts up our lives and takes us beyond our natural limitations as we realize, wow, grace really is at work in my life. We walk in that place of, of receiving forgiveness alone and we, grace really is working in my life. Thank you, Lord. Or we walk in the grace to forgive somebody else. Pastor Ralph was talking about that earlier. Grace really is working in my life. See, we we can't forgive each other apart from grace because human reasoning talks us out of it. Well, they're not really repentant. That's not a condition. That's a condition for that person to be right with God, but that's not a condition for us to forgive them and release them. Now, that's an ideal, but it's not a condition for our place of forgiving. His joy is in seeing our joy as we discover this inexhaustible grace and we see, yes, God is actually working in me. God gives us grace because he loves to be gracious. He loves to show generosity to us. That's his nature. And so if that's his nature, then he must experience a joy in defying logic and therefore giving us a grace that we don't deserve. Now, coming back to the analogy of giving and receiving a gift, there's another side to the whole analogy, and, and, and this other side is something I think we can especially see with young children. Parents, when was the last time you gave your children a gift and they responded by saying to you, no, I I can't receive this, I'm sorry, I really, I don't deserve this. (laughs) Judging by your response, it doesn't happen that way, does it? And the truth is, even with adults, you know, think about it. We may respond to somebody giving us a gift and say something, oh, you shouldn't have, or oh, you didn't have to do that. But more often than not, we'll still take the gift, won't we? But see, especially with younger children, there's no protest in their receiving a gift. They're not making any attempt. Think about it. They're not trying to bring logic into the picture. They don't think about their worthiness. They don't think about, am I really deserving of this? They just, it's a part of how children made up, are made up, and really it's a part of how we're made up as children of God. But we've got to get out from the realm of logic and reason when it relates to God's grace. I'm not saying throw out logic and reason. I'm saying, I'm saying don't try to think that God is relating to us based on the logic and reason of our being worthy. And we've got to step into that realm of faith and trust. See, there really is a childlikeness that we need to be embracing in our faith and nurturing in our faith. We have to nurture this. It doesn't come natural to us the older we get. And I think probably the best way we can be nurturing that faith is to spend time every day just thanking God for a goodness that we don't deserve. I just, I mean, if you get nothing else out of this today, I just want to encourage you, spend time every day just saying, God, I, I thank you for the goodness that you've shown me, in, shown me in my life. I thank you for the grace you've poured into my life. I know I'm undeserving, and yet you've given it to me anyway, and you've taken away my unrighteousness and given me the righteousness of Yeshua. Just thank, spend time thanking him. And see, that can nurture, I think, in our own hearts, kind of more of a childlike place of receiving. So we remind him and we remind ourselves that God's grace is neither logical nor reasonable, and we just give him thanks for it. See, we've got to remind ourselves that grace is not just about us. That sounds strange, but we've got to see that grace is also about God having opportunity to express his nature and to express his generosity god i mean i you know we could go into all kinds of theological reasons about why god created man and i'm not even touching on the theological reasons but i think a very practical reason is that god wanted a people that he could lavish his love upon lavish his generosity upon cuz he didn't have to create us did he but he did because he had something amazing for us. God has joy in our receiving his generosity. Now, there's another side of grace that I felt like I was actually just reading this a couple weeks ago in my devotional time, and I was reading in 1 Timothy, let's turn over there, 1 Timothy chapter one, and I just had never seen this before, but I felt like this just kinda jumped out as I was reading, 1 Timothy chapter four, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter one, verse, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord, Paul is talking, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Messiah Yeshua. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, in other words, to save sinners. For this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first, Yeshua the Messiah, might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Look at what he says here. He says, I was the foremost among sinners, the foremost foremost among those deserving of the judgment of God and the displeasure of God but I receive mercy as an example uh, for others to be able to see how gracious God is on behalf of a people who are undeserving. See, Paul realized his life was meant to be a testimony of the grace of God, a testimony which others would be able to see how good and how generous God is. That one, that one who, who put believers in prison and even killed some, and God was generous to him, that's a testimony that the world sees. And so seeing this is why Paul didn't get tripped up by the evils of his past and use his past as a reason to disqualify himself from God's goodness. He understood that receiving from God should never be hindered by how undeserving I am because receiving from God is all about how amazingly good he is and how he wants my life to be a testimony to others about that goodness of God. Friends, grace received becomes a testimony that's powerful as God displays his incredible goodness in the lives of undeserving people. It's never about how can I be worthy of it? No, it's all about, well, will I receive it as a gift? Will I enjoy it as a gift? And will I, will I allow my life to be transformed by that work of his grace and, and so become a testimony to the others of the goodness of God? Now quickly, I want to touch on the issue of grace as, as central to our ongoing walk in relationship with God. I suspect that we all find that we, have, we can have tendencies to slip into works righteousness in our walk with the Lord. And there's so many different ways that works righteousness and striving to please God creeps into our daily walk. Obviously, all of us want to be a people who are wholehearted in loving God and serving him with our lives entirely. But see, we can easily get into a place where we're just trying so hard, striving to do everything just right. But we've got to know if we are striving then we are not trusting. So what is it we're to be putting our trust in? We're trusting in God's faithfulness, God's sufficiency. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, at a point in his life when he was frustrated with what he describes as the ups and downs in his walk with the Lord, one day feeling zealous and just this strong sense of the presence of God, and the next day feeling tossed by temptation feeling distant from God, even wondering if he had any faith at all. But God gave him a revelation that became the key to his coming into consistent victory in his life. And this is what he wrote. He says, how, how then can our faith be increased? Only by thinking of all that Yeshua is and all that he is for us. His life, his death, his work. He himself has revealed to us in the word to be the subject of our constant thoughts, not a striving to have faith, but a stance of looking to the faithful one and resting in Yeshua entirely. And then he wrote this. Once I used to try to think very much and very often about the Lord, but I often forgot him. Can any of us relate to that? the frustration, even the guilt of desiring to keep our eyes on God, but often forgetting him and falling short of our desires. And understand, this was written in a time when when he was pioneering the way for a missions work in China that was incredibly fruitful. This wasn't at some backsliding time. Hudson Taylor took hold of this revelation of not striving, but trusting in God's faithfulness. And so he wrote, I used to strive in this regard, but now I trust the Lord to keep my heart remembering him, and he does so. Did you catch that? That is grace, friends. Not beating ourselves up over the beating ourselves over the head for how often we forget him, but when we realize we forget him, God, I look to you. Help me in those times when I lose sight of you. Help me in those times when I forget. See, we can go before the Lord and say, oh, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be used by you. I want to live for you totally. And then the enemy whispers in our ear, well, you may want to serve God, but you know you're not good enough. You know you don't have enough faith. You know you don't pray enough. You know you're too self-centered. On and on and on the list could go. And we can get tripped up by these kinds of thoughts because there's usually accuracy to them. But see, what we need to do in those times is is go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be fully surrendered to you, but I see that I fall short. I see the weakness of my own heart. I'm aware of ways that I still hold myself back from full surrender. God in myself, I see the self-centeredness that so often trips me up. I can see the ways that I fall short, but Lord, I'm not gonna keep looking at me. I'm gonna keep my eyes on you, my focus on you. I trust in you to work in me me the changes that are necessary all the ways that i see that i lack lord i look to you and i trust you to work these things in me see friends this is the stance of the one who recognizes that yeshua is our sufficiency we cannot look to ourselves and work up the things that we need to become and want to become Wherever we see lack in ourselves, the answer to our lack is not beating ourselves up, it's not striving to work something up, it's trusting in the sufficiency of Yeshua. Trusting in the work and power of his grace. Now, yes, there is effort involved, there's discipline involved, we have to be diligent, but we also have to see that striving is not the answer to the lack that we can recognize in ourselves. We're not to strive to have faith. We're to trust in his faithfulness. There's tremendous grace in knowing that it's God who is at work in me. Philippians 2, 13. Think about it. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What an amazing truth. God not only gives me the power to work for him, he even gives me the heart to work for him. So, when I see that that heart is falling short, the answer is to look to Him, not to myself. What a promise that is. And He's faithful to keep it. See, I am human. And there are times when I feel the weakness of my humanness, times when I feel the weakness of my own faith, times when I'm down instead of up. I wish it never happened, but it does times when I feel pretty unspiritual. And I'm not saying just accept whatever moods come over you and that's okay, eventually it'll pass, because it won't, it won't just pass. That's not what I'm saying. When we're attacked with discouragement or hopelessness or, or, or any attitudes that seek to pull us down and get our eyes fixed on ourselves, we've got to resist those attitudes and we've got to fight against them. But you know, sometimes I can even feel like the fight just isn't in there. Do you ever feel that way? Oh gosh, another spiritual warfare area. God, I don't feel like this. Do you ever feel that way? And those are the times when I need to say, Lord, in my weakness, even in the weakness of my desire, I look to you for your grace instead of seeing my weakness or my lack of faith or whatever, instead of focusing on myself and giving up because I don't have what it takes to fully live for you, instead of focusing on myself and backing away from you, figuring you don't want anything to do with me now, Lord, my focus is on the greatness of who you are, the greatness of your compassion, the greatness of your goodness that goes beyond what I can understand. Lord, help me to be strong. Help my unbelief. Lord, my confidence is in you, not in myself. Friends, that's the stance we must be taking. Don't ever be content with unbelief. Don't be satisfied with doubts and times when we're feeling down and not victorious. It's not what I'm saying. But realize our sufficiency sufficiency comes from him and not ourselves. And what we need in those times is his grace, his life to reach into our humanity and pull us up into that place of his victory. Whether it's victory in some area where we've struggled or it's an area of our walk where we feel we we just want to go further than we've gone before. We don't come into it by striving and working it up. We come into it by trusting in the one who is faithful and totally sufficient for every area that we lack. We look to the sufficiency of God to meet us in that place of our own lack or weakness. That's what it means to take hold of his grace. Recently, Joe and I watched a a documentary on the life of Corey Ten Boom. And I'm sure many of you are, are very familiar with her story, and, and have probably heard some of these things. But the narrator, who was someone who traveled with her for, for the last seven eight years of her life, and she she shared an account of, of a time when she was speaking at a when Corey was speaking at a church, and afterwards she was approached by a man who who she recognized as as the man who was a, a German guard in the concentration camp where she and her sister were held. And he had been particularly cruel to them, especially to her sister, who later died in the camp. But this guard had since become a believer. And he approached Corey, and he reached out his hand, asking her to forgive him. And for a brief moment, and I mean, this is just over a a, a period of maybe a couple of seconds. This is going through her mind. She could not do it. She couldn't do it. That's because forgiveness... The way God asks us to walk it out is impossible. That's why we need grace for it. She said she couldn't take his hand, and so the narrator goes on to say, she stood looking at the guard who had been so cruel to her and her sister, and she knew she could not forgive him. It just wasn't in her to do it. All she could think of was her sister's suffering. But then for a brief moment in her heart, she turned to the Lord, and she said, Lord, help By the way, that is a really good prayer. In those times when we feel like I don't have any eloquent prayer, Lord help is really good. It works. She said, Lord, help, and the Lord impressed on her heart, Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. With that, she said, the Lord gave her a revelation that she wasn't expected to work up some kind of false love for the man, but she could receive from the Holy Spirit what was needed in order to forgive the man. She said, Lord, forgive me for the hatred and bitterness in my heart, and thank you that you brought your love into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Thank you that your love in me is victorious over my hatred. And at that moment, my hatred disappeared, and I took the man's hand and forgave him. It's so powerful. She didn't try to work something up, but she looked to the one who is perfect love in order to love herself and forgive. She also didn't sink into condemnation and a sense of her failure. Oh, I can't forgive the man. I must be such a terrible person. No. She looked to the Lord, who is the source of everything we need for life and godliness, and she was empowered to do the impossible. I think the Lord is bringing this up for a reason. And Pastor Ralph shared it twice earlier. This forgiveness issue is huge. Yes, it's impossible. That's why you need God for it. God, would you help me do what I don't want to do? Would you help me do what I can't do in and of myself? Be the love in my heart by which I will forgive those who have hurt me, those who have wronged me. Friends, the only answer to our shortcomings is seeing God's grace and resting in that grace. So be alert to those times when you may be slipping into a striving mentality in response to the weaknesses that you may see in yourself. We can never be looking to ourselves to be the source of the victory that we need. It just doesn't happen that way. It's not our efforts to be righteous or holy or spiritual that are key. It's our trust in what Yeshua has done for us and looking to him for what we don't have those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through yeshua let's stand together Friends, every one of us, if we've received Yeshua, there is a seed of the life of God himself planted in us and grace is the environment for the seed of God's life to grow and to flourish. So Father, I'm asking today that there would just be a fresh release, an impartation of revelation of your grace in each of my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, we stand before you recognizing we need you. We don't have what it takes to serve you, but you do. And so, Lord, we just, we just give you our yes. Yes, Lord. Here I am. False and all. And Lord, I thank you that you receive us. You receive us with our faults and weaknesses and then you impart that grace to us that enables us to be overcomers in all of these areas. Lord, help us to be patient in the process that we walk through. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, for any who just are experiencing any any kind of cloud of, of of heaviness over over just just being frustrated with 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 how they're walking out their their life in Yeshua, I just want to want to break off that cloud of heaviness. Lord, you give us the mantle of joy for a spirit of heaviness, the mantle of praise. Break through that today in the life of anyone who really needs that today. But then beyond it, Lord, beyond this day, as we all seek to walk in, in, in the reality of your grace and empowerment, help us in the times of our own weakness. Deflect our attention from, from ourselves so that we have our eyes upon you. And we just give you thanks and praise for who you are. God, you are so good. And we just love you today. We rejoice in your love for us. And we give you thanks and praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen.